4.37am, I got woken up, literally shaken out of bed, didn't really know what's going on, but then we, we quickly understood that oh, this is a big earthquake. Uh, didn't realise the full extent of that. It, it, it was 7.1, I think, on the Richter scale, uh, not far from, from Christchurch, and it caused a problem. And in fact, I was part of a consulting, a business consulting uh, practice at the time. Uh, we actually never went back to our building. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology. We are the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ojai, California, this is the podcast for you, the ambitious professional who simply wants an advantage. I know you don't want to settle for an ordinary life. You want real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction not just at work, but in every area of life. Our primary feature today is an interview with John Bajent of Christchurch Property Projects Limited. Here's why you're gonna wanna hear this. This is a man who at age 57 practically had to start over. First, he lost everything in the global financial crisis. Then he recovered only to lose it all again in the 2010 Christchurch earthquake. If you don't know about that, it was a big quake which caused widespread damage in New Zealand's second largest urban area. He's not only overcome what would sink most people, he continues to succeed with his company's property development and investment projects. He's got some great lessons for you and me, and you'll hear how he's grown from what he calls unconscious incompetence to conscious competence. I love that, John, as an advanced member at Influence Ecology. After our feature, we're going to listen in to one of our guru talks. Uh, this is with myself and co-founder Kirkland Tibbles. It's a recording, uh, a short piece from our annual conference in Omaha, California in 2014. This is a global conference where many ambitious professionals come from around the world to connect, study, and practice. And in this talk, you'll hear how most people simply lack the ambition to live as they aspire to live. They wait for life to turn out and don't produce the situations, the conditions, and environments they require to live a rich and satisfying life. That certainly isn't our guest today. John has been a member with Influence Ecology since 2014 and just keeps impressing us all with his resilience. He just keeps bouncing back. John, uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing now. I actually started life as an accountant and um, that didn't last long it, it bored the pants off me and uh, i eventually found my way into uh, into property by way of actually uh, working with business owners um, from a succession planning point of view and i ended up getting quite sick and tired of fund managers losing my clients money and started looking around for other things uh, to invest in and discovered property and actually being the person that I am, I actually got quite stuck into it and found that I was actually very good at property. Uh, and so from humble beginnings, we started to develop specific properties for my clients 
for them to invest in. As a result of the earthquakes, as you rightly said, we had to start again. Christchurch was devastated. Uh, our rebuild is something like a $40 billion rebuild. Yeah. of a city. And so great uh, adversity, but also great opportunity to actually rebuild a city. And that's what I'm doing at the moment, a uh, little bit by little bit. I don't claim to be a large player in the market, but um, it's, it's something that it really drives me is to, well, at the moment I'm building apartments uh, for central city living, but we also have done a few other developments as well. Uh, for clients and, and so that, that's really what I'm doing but what I'm finding is that um, the, the study that I'm doing with Influence Ecology is helping me immensely to actually fast track what I'm doing. Mm. Uh, it, it, it's certainly uh, paying dividends in terms of knowing what to do and how to go about doing it. Alright that's great we're going to get back to that in just a second. I got to go back to to some of these uh, these devastations you know most of us have some kind of experience of loss or or some kind of experience or maybe it's not us maybe people we know uh, about the global financial crisis and what people experience there a devastating earthquake is a little bit harder to imagine and so do you, i'm sure you remember the day and and what happened um as a as a guy with a, you know a life and a business what happened that day um 4.37 a.m., I got woken up, literally shaken out of bed. Didn't really know what's going on, but then we, we quickly understood that, oh, this is a big earthquake. Uh, didn't realize the full extent of that. Um, but it, it was 7.1, I think, on the Richter scale, uh, not far from, from Christchurch, uh, and, and it caused a problem. And, in fact, I, I was part of a consulting, a business consulting uh, practice at the time. We actually never went back to our building. Mm. We couldn't get access to the building because the central city was cordoned off. In fact, our building was damaged. Uh, and so that immediately put a, a, a problem for us in terms of our business. In fact, uh, within the space of a, a few months, we'd literally lost all our clients. Either they were out of business because of the earthquakes or their clients were out of business. And then in February uh, 2011, we actually had another huge one. And this one really devastated the city. In fact, I think something like 120, you know, 180 odd people lost their lives. Within Christchurch, we had within our central city, uh, we've demolished over 1,500 buildings. And so if you drive around the city now, uh, there's a lot of empty space. But the good thing is that there's lots of new buildings starting to come out of the ground. And uh, it's quite an exciting place. And, and it's wonderful to be part and parcel of that effort to to literally rebuild a city. I mean, who else gets that opportunity to start from scratch again and, and, and build a city in a relatively short space of time? How long did it take for you to to get yourself into that frame of mind? You, you get over the shock reasonably quickly. Uh, I, I'm the sort of personality, well, that happened. Uh, I'm still here, still got my family here. Um, luckily, our, our home wasn't severely damaged, so we were actually able to carry on and so I started turning my thinking to what could be next. Uh, one of the early things I looked at was, well, we're going to need a lot of people to come into the city 
and there's nowhere for them to stay. So I started looking at uh, workers' accommodation, little villages to, to house uh, all the workers that are likely to come in to rebuild. So things like that, uh, you know, you have to start thinking quickly because you can't just sit around and dwell on life and say, oh, gosh, that's tough. Right. So first there was the housing crisis, then there was the 2010, then the 2011 earthquake. You started to see some opportunity and you said here uh, in some of the notes you sent me earlier, you, you charged into things and quickly burnt through what resources you had. That, that is actually part of it, is that one it can be quite naive. There's lots of opportunity and you just rush in. There's an opportunity, let's go and get this done. Um, without actually thinking through what was required, uh, all the things that were needed. And I actually had people saying, yes, yes, we want this, we want this. And so you spend money to get things developed. But when the time came to say, radio, I want you to sign on the bottom line now because I need your commitment. Oh, I'm not quite sure we're ready yet for that. Um, and so there was a lot of, yes, these things need to happen. But in reality, it was going to take a while because there's a lot of moving parts in rebuilding a city and no one had gone through this before. And so there was a, a certain amount of lag uh, for people to actually make the right decisions. Meanwhile, people like myself who uh, dived in and wanted to get going, uh, you know, I, I was literally using up my resources without the, uh, the corresponding benefit. And so uh, life actually became quite tough for a while. I think one of the things I've tried to imagine in the earthquake situation or, or that kind of devastation, uh, of course, the, you know, the loss of life is devastating. Of course, the, the disruption is devastating. But when I think about wanting to now go recover, uh, to, to begin to move on, I, I can imagine that uh, the resources I might normally depend on the people I might normally go to, the the agencies and the all of the bits of, of business that are in place that can help me, they're not there or they're not uh, uh, available to me or they're not reliable or they're in their own recovery. What was that particular part of this journey like? Um, you, you're right in that, that there was a lot of uncertainty and people were dealing with their own issues as well. So if you're working with someone and you're trying to work on a project, uh, you had to be cognizant of the fact that each individual working on that project was dealing with their own project, i.e. their circumstances. And you know people were having to move out of houses and find accommodation. And so that's actually quite distracting. Um, the the resources available to to do things uh, weren't there. Uh, a simple little thing like actually navigating around the city. You don't realise just how much you use visual aids, i.e., buildings, uh, to know where you are and where you should be going. Hmm. Quite surreal when the buildings aren't there, and so I'm lost. I, I don't quite, you know, I'm, I'm disorientated. Mm. But also, uh, one day I can drive down the street, the next day I can't because road cones are up, they're doing something. So, so all those physical resources uh, were a stretch, but it was the mental resources as well of, of, of people making decisions. There was a certain amount of uncertainty 
And in the face of that, a lot of people just were clamming up. I can't make a decision right now. Mm. And so when you're trying to move forward and you're committing your resources, but you're relying on other people to do their thing and they won't or can't, that was the, the naivete that I was uh, reflecting on, that I, I didn't really stop enough to think about where others were and what they needed. And my, uh, I, I guess, assessment of timeframes uh, was somewhat optimistic. So we're going to get into in a minute what you've learned in studying here at Influence Ecology, but what did you learn during this period? What What did you... How did you grow yourself? I think if I hadn't have had the background and training that I have had over the years, I would have really, really struggled. I was able to understand that life had changed, therefore I needed to change with it. And it's a difficult one. You know, it, this is an experiential situation. I mean, it's hard to describe what it was like working through these times but that ability just to step back a bit from what was going on around was actually a catalyst for for thinking well okay what do we need to do next how how do i need to work in terms of all of this and, and rather than trying to do everything myself one of the lessons that i learned was that you know we're all in this together therefore we've actually got to work cooperatively to to get out of this and so I started forming um, relationships with people that together we could actually do better than we could individually. And that's actually paid quite significant dividends. So you, you had said before you, you, know, you burnt through some of your resources, uh, you knew something had to change. 2013, uh, you get introduced to Influence Ecology uh, what was your first experience and what did you begin to quickly discover? One of my consulting business partners was actually working with Influence Ecology at the time. And she said to me, John, you've got to do this. And I value her opinions. And so, okay, I'll come along. And it was actually a uh, presentation that uh, Drew Knowles was giving uh, here in Christchurch. And being the sort of person that I am, I went onto your website. I had a good look. I, I think I read through pretty well the whole website, just trying to understand and, and come to some assessment of influence ecology. I wasn't sure, but I went along to this um, presentation or a, a training workshop, I think it was, and I got a sense that yeah, there's, there's something here. I, I, I suspect that I can get some value from this. I didn't know what it was, and I found that hard to articulate what value I would get out of it. But uh, at the end of it, I gave Drew an undertaking that I would give it some consideration and come back to him uh, in, a, in a time frame that I had stated. And over that period of time, which was a, a quite a number of weeks, I was actually contemplating, should I or shouldn't I? Uh, at the time, as I said, I'd burned through my resources, and, and one of the issues was, how can I fund this? I know I've got to do something, because what I'm doing isn't actually working. I actually just took a leap of faith in the end and said, I know I've got to do this. I'll find a way to do this, so let's commit. All right, well, so 
you did that, and then let's go all the way to the end here. I know you just attended the uh, major conference in Auckland, so you'd been with us since 2014, and uh, you just were at the major conference in Auckland. Uh, and during that conference, uh, from what I understand, you you were uh, quite a leader <laughs> at the conference. Uh, or something. I wasn't there myself. Uh, Kirkland Drew and, and many other people were there, but uh, I heard lots about you. What were you doing? What were you saying? What were you? How was conference for you? Probably one of the best conferences I have attended. For the reason for that was I actually put the effort in ahead of time and did the thinking around what I wanted to get out of it, mm. who I wanted to be at that conference, and just working through and doing that preparation. So. When I arrived at conference, I was ready. And one of the things that uh, I had set for myself was to participate. It's very easy to sit back and take it all in. And I must confess, my first conference, I did that. But I have to say, I, I walked away from that thinking, wow, what a bunch of people. This is great. At last, I found um, you know, some people that actually think like I do. So that was, mm. that was really good. So I... This time I decided that if, if I actually get on the court and start playing, maybe I'll get more out of it, and that's certainly the, the case for me. All right, so let's let's focus a little bit on, on our listeners and what they may hope to learn here. What are some of the lessons that you learned participating here at Influence Ecology, whether or not they're recent lessons or lessons that you learned early on? What are some of those things, and what can people, like I said, what can people learn from from your journey you think you know what you're doing <laughs> and maybe but I, I would suggest that maybe there's a bit more that you could learn and understand that might benefit about what you do specifically um, I know what I'm doing but I don't I, I I thought I knew what my offer was what I put out there in the marketplace but I'd have to say one of the key things that I've learned is how to construct my offerings uh, to clients such that they actually get it. Mm. Um, and, and being the personality that I am, I tend to sort of do quite a few different things. And I've learned to just pull back a little bit, concentrate and focus on a few things and do them really well. So in terms of understanding how to present my offer, you then learn how to actually do that in such a way that you're, you're transacting with people uh, and doing it in an efficient manner. Over the years, I've actually been involved a lot in sales and, and a lot of it is an intangible sales. But the problem that I've faced is that while I've been quite good at it, I've had a lot of wasted leads. And so learning who is and isn't likely to be a customer because you've defined what it is you actually do and, and who your, your target market is, is actually very useful in terms of the resources that you have, i.e. you don't waste a lot of time. You're working with those that actually want and need to work with you and not wasting time. One of the, the little things that I have picked up has been learning how to decline. I've actually not wasted a lot of time chasing some people thinking, oh yes, they're going to buy, they're going to do something. 
in fact they were never going to by actually putting some processes around decline in place i've quickly weeded out those that are likely to waste time hmm. which actually gives me more time to work on the real important things also recognizing different personalities i won't say that i've got that one down pat yet um, but it's certainly helping to recognize the different personality types uh, as an example uh, some real estate agents I use to sell my properties naturally they are going to be of a personality that's uh, out there um, sort of relationship orientated and people who don't like to be tied down to specific things uh, and one of them I need them to do some specific things but understanding that personality has helped me in the way that I actually get them to do certain things hmm. uh, can you give us an example? Reporting. Uh, we, we've got a, a, a large project on at the moment and I, I've got one particular agent that we've asked him to report weekly on where things are at. I want to know where the where he's at with a pipeline Yeah. Um, because of timing issues around construction and everything like that. But I can't just say report to me weekly. I've actually got to put it in terms that fits in with him. So we've gone through that aspect and now with a little bit of prompting from time to time i'm getting that feedback that i need to feed back into the construction side of things so it's just understanding those those personality traits has been a huge help yeah let's talk about that one just for a second because you know some people who don't understand personalities especially in the way that we teach it might just say well just you know, tell them they need to do it or they're fired, you know, or uh, something like that, right? Uh, which is obviously something you can do. Why would you be uh, both committed to this person's freedom, uh, this relationship person, his personality? Why would you be both committed to that and producing some kind of constraint? How does that benefit you and how does that benefit them? If, if they understand that we're trying to do something together and they've got a little bit of freedom to operate so long as I can get what I need, I don't have to be so um, hard and fast. And I'd have to say in the past, I have been quite hard and fast, you know, do this or else. I've learned that, well, that, that works sometimes, but quite often it doesn't work. Therefore, if you can work with someone's personality and still achieve a result, then everybody's happy. And, and for me, this particular person um, actually has a, a pretty good machine. If you give them the right properties, they'll get sold. So it's my benefit if he actually gets off and, and really sort of gets inspired by what he's selling and um, and gets to work. But I can't constrain him because I want him to work my way. I, I've got to let him do what he's good at so long as he can feed into me the things that I need for me to do what I need to do. Great example of that. Very good. Well, you, you talked a little bit about uh, the the influence principles, uh, the ways in which you gain someone's compliance. Uh, in your notes, I've got some things about that. What have you learned about that? The weapons of influence, as we, we call them. Uh, people will probably know and recognize them in general terms, but when you really understand how some of these psychological things work, and providing that you're doing it in an ethical way, I'm not talking about maliciously trying to manipulate people, mm -hmm. but we 
are inundated with information and it seems to me that we, we take these shortcuts to to making decisions. So if I can actually influence how someone operates or, or, or take shortcuts to their advantage and to mine, then so be it. And, and learning that has been very useful. Also, uh, not only just in a, in a business sense, but actually in a, in a personal sense with family. Recognizing you know, the different personalities within my family and actually having a better understanding of how to deal with some people. An example, um, my, my son uh, is a personality that is one where I, I, I want to think about that, I'll assess that, uh, and, and I'll give you an answer. Um, but he won't necessarily come up with something. He's, he's assessing other people's way of doing things. Uh, a little bit judgy, if you like. Knowing how to deal with that personality and that if you make a request of him, you may get a no, mm. but I realise that that's not always a no, it's actually a maybe. And so if I, if I just keep going in subtle ways and, and let him uh, come to a conclusion, then we actually get what we both want. Well said. All right, I, I want to talk a little bit about health because I know this has been something you've uh, gained quite a bit from studying here. First of all, if you'll tell our listeners, why, why do we study health? Uh, and how come we call it biology? If you haven't got your health, you've got nothing. And so if, if you're not fit, how can you transact? And some good examples. Um, I enjoy going to conference in Ojai. Uh, unfortunately, this year, I went by myself. Uh, my wife didn't come along because she actually wasn't well. She was actually unfit to travel. So if you haven't got your biology working well, it can have an impact on your life. I also have realized for a long time that if I'm fit, my brain works a lot better than when I'm unfit. Mm. And in fact, I actually enjoy exercising because of the, the mental buzz that I get out of it. I feel more alive. And I'd have to say that having that emphasized, I guess, with the study with influence psychology has been life-changing, shall we say. Yeah, in fact, you say you said uh, you said in fact the study and awareness of my biology literally saved my life. What do you, what do you mean by that? Um, by studying our biology and, and and how our bodies effectively work, how our brain works, made me realise that I needed to do more exercise, keep exercising. Uh, to increase my fitness levels. So I'm pleased that I was doing that and, and we, we measure our exercise uh, just to see how we're going. Earlier this year I actually had a, uh, a major health issue and if it wasn't for my awareness of my biology, I knew something wasn't right, I wouldn't be here. So I, I, I actually realised that that something wasn't right with me and rather than doing nothing, I actually took myself straight to hospital. Hmm. Uh, if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be alive. Wow. So I can wholeheartedly say that uh, my work with influence ecology has been life-changing and life-saving because without the, the awareness of all that, I wouldn't be here. Mm. So I, I really appreciate and thank you and Kirkland for the work that you've done because it has had a dramatic impact on, on me. Well, it's our pleasure. Uh... I uh, it's it's a privilege to know you and a privilege to work with you and I 
uh, I knew some of your story, but I didn't know all of it. And uh, it's wonderful to learn so much from someone who's uh, so resilient. You know, you do you you do just continue to bounce back. But I think what's also great about you and just listening to you is it, it's funny you have a, a, a I don't know if I'll say this right, but you have this amazing combination of confidence and uh, humility at the same time. Uh, you're aware of your uh, ability to get something done, but you also know so well where you need help and that you're not Superman, which I think is just such a rare combination. Uh, anything you want to say about that? Uh, yes, there is actually. Uh, not so much about me, but you can't do it by yourself. Um, I used to think I could, but what I have learned is that we actually function with others and we need others and so if you try and do things by yourself it's hard hard work and one of the the real benefits that I've had with this work with influence ecology is an understanding and some skill set development in working with ecologies and we talk about influence ecology influence being the um, the transacting part but for me the ecology aspect is actually as important if not more important. The reason I've been able to do a lot of things that I have done since the earthquakes has been because I have actually managed to transact my way into higher and higher ecologies and when you do that you start to realize just how potent things can be when you're working with the right people and the ecology part of influence ecology I mentioned it earlier uh, that my first conference, I, I came away from that thinking, wow, I've finally found a bunch of people that think like I do. And they are an amazing bunch of smart, smart people. And just to be around such a bunch of people uh, is quite inspiring. Yes, yes, I might you know, sit around and, and be calm and, and sort of take things in, but I'm really fizzing inside when I am um, hmm. with you know, a, a bunch of people that, that really do add a lot of value. Said so well. All right. Um, so sometimes there are things that people know they'd like the world to know. <laughs> I used to ask people some time ago, you know, imagine that you're, you're at the end of your life and you get to stand in front of the masses and say anything. What would you like to say? So I want to give you that moment uh, uh, to say, say anything you'd like to say to the masses. Uh, I mentioned at the start that I started life as an accountant. I also trained as a financial planner. And I, I have some issues with some of the current thinking that, that abounds out there uh, from a financial, a financial current, if you like. Um, you know, we're taught to say, look, you, you save over a long period of time and then wisdom suggests that you retire at about 70% of your pre-retirement income. We don't have lots of money, therefore we save a little bit every week, suggesting that put it away with a fund manager, dollar cost average over time, and over a period of time you, you'll grow some wealth. That has its limitations. You're actually using pre or post-tax dollars, you know, tax paid dollars. It relies on the performance of fund managers. There's a risk and reward trade-off. Putting money into managed funds is not overly risking, it's not overly rewarding either. Uh, you take the risk and the fund manager gets the rewards. In my financial planning training I was taught 
that it was prudent to have a diversified portfolio, but I had a problem with that. Financial literacy isn't really taught in schools. Investing is clouded in mystery, so, so best to leave it to the experts. The trouble is they actually act like a bunch of reef fish. You know, if you look at the um, stock market, something happens and everybody rushes in or rushes out without actually thinking about the underlying fundamentals. For those who, who have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, it's a good book. Those who haven't, um, this is actually a very brief summary. Uh, basic accounting, it's assets and liabilities, income and expenditure. And in essence, spend less than you earn. Put your surplus into income assets, i.e. things that earn money, and pay off your liabilities, uh, things that cost you money. And when the income off your asset base is sufficient to fund your lifestyle, that's wealth. And, and why would you want to take a drop in income at retirement when you're probably going to need more? So learn how to grow your assets until you can reach that position. Protect your assets, and that includes you. Hmm. So protect yourself and, and have insurance in place that if something happens to you, that asset base is immediately there. And what I'd suggest is treat your financial well-being as if it was a business. Have a goal, take stock of your assets and liabilities, make a plan, work the plan, and develop the team, which means yourself. Educate yourself. And um, I would highly recommend Influence Ecology as a way of educating yourself. For those who are in business, your business is probably your greatest asset. Learn how to grow and drive that asset. Focus and concentrate on your business because that's where you're going to grow your wealth. Don't diversify necessarily until you've got your business well and well understood and operating and then go out and get some more businesses uh, because that's investing in shares, isn't it? Concentrate, educate yourself and don't leave it to someone else. Very good. Well, John, it has been such a pleasure to get to know you just a little bit more, and I'm sure that all of our listeners uh, have learned a great deal, uh, both in terms of your knowledge and your resilience. Uh, uh, it's inspiring to, to hear what you have to say. So thank you so very much for being with us today. My pleasure. I continue to grow more and more impressed with John and his ambition. He simply will not be done in by the situations and circumstances that might make others crumble. And I picked today's Guru Talk because of him. This recording is a short piece from our 2014 annual member conference. This is the global conference where ambitious professionals come from around the world to connect, study, and practice. To give you a picture, we're at the Ojai Valley Inn and Spa. Now this is a five-star, five-diamond, 200-acre resort in a picturesque valley near the Pacific Ocean in Southern California. We're in a big ballroom, and it's the final day of a five-day conference, and I'm out to confront the naivete of being satisfied. You'll hear me, co-founder Kirkland Tibbles, and some of our members as we challenge how most people wait for life to turn out. There are two main points here. One is that we don't know what would satisfy us, and two, that even though we know what to do, we often do not and will not produce the situations, conditions, and environments we require to live a rich and satisfying life. I do need to train you in a term we call the current. The current is like a river you get swept up in and it is the sum of the narratives which influence us in the marketplace. It is often filled with platitudes, ideas, and other nonsense 
that many don't take the time to think accurately about, and as such, they get swept up in the current. How many of you are satisfied with the conference? Satisfied. Right, thank you. I was, I woke up this morning, I was thinking about my experience of the conference, and Kirkland, you and I haven't had the opportunity to talk about this, I was thinking about the experience of the conference, and I, I know that sometimes I have my biology inform me of whether or not an experience was a good thing. So I know it was valuable because I'm excited. Or I know it was valuable because I'm left motivated to go kick some ass. <laughs> right? And I'm just not sure that, that's, that, that that demonstrates ambitious at all. Just not sure. I gotta check it. Because in some discourses and in some in the current, you might be left at the end of a conference motivated, ready, armed, excited. And you know that your biology tells you you're in great shape to go, right? And it could be a possible, a possible result. I don't know if it's the result to produce here. So I ask you if you're satisfied. And some of you checked in with your biology. Some of you checked in with whether or not an aim was met. But I want to stop and pause and ask you, are you satisfied with the conference? Are you satisfied with the conference? Again, now that I said all that, if you're satisfied with the conference, put your hand up. That's totally fine if you're satisfied. Just put your hand up. Okay, keep it real high, real high, just real quick. Okay, good. And then if your hand is not up, put your hand up. Okay, great. Awesome. So let me just interact with a couple of people here. Paul, you can stand up for just a moment. Paul over here. And then, yeah, um, I'm sorry. Nathan. I looked at it, it looked like it said Aaron in it. Paul. Paul, I know it's about Turk. So Paul, you raise your hand. Just now, of course. So I asked that about it. You raised your hand. So did you raise your hand because you just didn't raise your hand, or you raised your hand because you're not satisfied? I raised my hand because I'm not satisfied. Right. Tell me about that. So one of the things I came here to get out of the conference was how to um, take off the gloves with the competition and be real focused on how to implement and having a program for. Um, what I'm going to do over the next six months. Okay, good. And are you, <clears throat> do you know if that's the right word to be a work on? Yes. Okay, good. I, I would accept and I would trust that that is great. And are you transacting with the general ecology or with us to make sure that happens? Yes. Great. And is it your commitment, not your intent, not your intention, your commitment to leave here today being satisfied that you accomplished that. Yes. Great. Good, I accept. Anything else about that? Nope. <coughs> Good. And am I going to make sure that happens? No. Okay. You are, right? Correct. I, I you know, I'm not going to, uh, there's no possible way I could do what I just did with each one of you. 
There's not a possible way. I mean, it could. I could stain you up, but I'm not going to do that. So, up to you, right? Yes. Right. Thanks, Colin. You know, Colin. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I just have some judgments, I think. Um, or I, it, it, I, I have gotten value. I have gotten a, a number of things that were great. Um, my experience has been that uh, the time invested and the money invested is disproportionate to what I've gotten. And I, I am totally committed to change that by the end of the day, but I just felt like yesterday after lunch was mostly a waste of time. And I felt like the first day could have been done in one session and not a whole day. And so I guess I'm just like, let's yes. go. Let's, let's. Yes. Good. So, yeah. Love it. I just love it. And do you, do you know what would... <sighs> just love this. Isn't this fantastic? <laughs> um, so what would satisfy you? Uh, that's the trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You see, you don't know what would satisfy you. Some of you really do hope that you come in here and there's this golden nugget. This golden nugget. Kirkland, in his wisdom, says this thing. And you go, that's the answer I've been waiting for. That's the thing that I've been hoping to hear. Oh my God! Right? You're waiting for something. And many of you don't know what you're here to get. You don't know what you're here to get. You just hope that by osmosis, it gets on you. Or something said that, I don't know, pops something or, I don't know, something. It, it's a very adult, even naive, not ambitious adult, way to participate in a program trained to teach you in transactional competence. You're going to sit here like teeny and hope a moment moves you. Some of you are just laughing and giggling. You're going to hope that this movie, as it plays out, has a golden moment at the end where all is transformed and we live happily ever after, and we, you're waiting for that moment. Are you waiting for that moment? Really? Really? Are you waiting for that? Really? Check it. Just check it. Check it. See, in the narrative of the current, in the narrative of the current you live in, there is for you, at the end of a thing, the triumph. And you're waiting for the triumph. It is, it is part of every story told around a campfire from the time we crawl out of a cave until the, 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 the last movie was just really good. The triumph at the end. And you're waiting. I promise you, you're waiting. So I ask the question, is the conference satisfying or not? And some of you don't even know what it would look like if it hit you upside the head. So since this, the, this is the last day, I don't have a timer, I want to say a timer. Okay, this last day, time's running out. 
So it's the last day, time's running out. You better get clear about what it is that will have this conference for you be satisfied. And you may have to do some accurate thinking to make that determination. Because it's likely you're waiting for a biological moment.
In our next episode, we interview Sue Romberg of Living Legacies near Chicago, Illinois. I learned so much from her about what a legacy is and what a legacy isn't. The reality about legacy, it's really not about you. Um, Some people think it's like it creates this attention on yourself and I don't know that I want that, I don't know that I need that, I'm gonna be gone anyway, so what does it matter? But your legacy, when you think about it, it's really not about you. It's about the impact that your work in the world has for, for others. Um, so it's, it's really the antithesis about yourself. It's really about what you can do that really impacts somebody over there versus just your life being about you. And we know that we all can be guilty at times of focusing life about us versus somebody else. But um, when, it, when it comes down to your sense of yourself and feeling fulfilled and living a worthwhile life, I think it's, it, it's always other focused. If you'd like to know more about influence ecology and our approach, check out our webinar, Ambitious Living, The Eight Defining Principles. The webinar is available globally. We'll teach you the core principles practiced by the most successful and effective men and women we know. This webinar is for those who aspire to an influential life that provides measurable satisfaction for themselves, their family, and their organizations. This webinar is specifically designed for those who don't want to sacrifice a well-balanced life for superior financial rewards. They want it all. To find out more, you can find the link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please find us on iTunes and subscribe, review, like, and share. Help to get the word out and make this podcast a huge success. Thank you for another great episode of the Influence Ecology Podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I want to thank our guest, John Bajant, for such a powerful interview. If you want to know more about John, Christchurch Property Projects, or the Ambitious Living webinar, you can find links in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30 plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. And finally, thanks to our producer, Jason Kelly and Marcus Bell. Editing and music by Bell Ringer Productions. Music supervision by Dashley LaCorps and Marcus Bell.